Uh, may we begin by reading some of this stuff, one of the greatest things that Jesus ever gave to his disciples to challenge, to live it out day by day. Let's read it together. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's express that love in, in our worship and fellowship throughout today, formally and informally, and uh, give thanks. I'm just going to take the service to the Lord now in prayer. So let's, let's pray. So God, we do praise you that you are a unique God. You are a creator God. You are a sustainer God. You've made us, you give us life. You've also saved us. You forgive us where we go astray. And we did pray, Lord, this morning that as we study your word together, whether it's here in the, the main church, whether it's in the ABS club group, that you would give each one of us a, a fresh glimpse of that uh, uniqueness that makes you the one true God. And as we do so, Lord, we pray that we will give you the glory that is due to your name and that anything we may be tempted to worship in place of you that we will be able to cast aside and um, focus just on you. So be with us this morning and uh, may this whole service be honouring to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we in Deuteronomy? Chapter 4 Moses again this is referred to as Moses' swan song and that after he speaks for the time he dies and doesn't enter the promised land and he's in this period of uh, transition as the people are crossing over the Jordan we take that up in a hymn that's based on this in a moment Deuteronomy 4 and we'll try to be a bit selective so uh, follow with me so that we can get the gist that long narrative and um, we want to try to follow as much as we can obedience commanded hear now O Israel the decrees and laws I am about to teach you follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord the God of your father is giving you. Verse 10. Two questions are asked here in verse 7 and 8. What other nation is so great as to have their God near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today. Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children. And in one sentence, he's embraced three generations. 
Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, quote, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and dark, deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant. The Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them in two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Try to picture their poise. Here is this command that is given to go before them. Here is a series of strong prohibitions. Because essentially then and now we are a worshipping people. Verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourself very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky, you see the sun, <coughs> moon, and stars. All the heavenly array do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has appointed to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of inheritance as you are now. The Lord was angry with me, Moses says, because of you. And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. <coughs> But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has prohibited. For the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous God. And other things are spelled out in the course of this chapter. That would suffice in order to give us a flavour of what God is saying to his people. And it's a challenge to try to apply that to us um, here today. So let's uh, pray together. We thought about people who are needy. I'm sure many of us have needs that we want to bring before the Lord. So let's pray.
loving Lord, we are coming before you now, and you are that great, all-consuming, loving, merciful God of justice and grace. We ask that you will help us to have yet again a, a clearer glimpse of who you are in the great mystery of our lives that we are preoccupied with the mundane things of living and surviving and relating and so we come and ask that you will lift up the light of your countenance upon us and may we know your favour and your loving presence Lord we are mindful constantly of a world in ferment, of turmoil, of conflict. And so we ask that as we think of what it is to be given these commands, we confess before you that of ourselves we are impotent, powerless. We often want to do good but do the opposite. We want to stay positive, but we often revert to criticism. Would you have mercy upon us? And in that covenant that cannot be broken, give us a fresh awareness, especially in Jesus Christ, of grace upon grace. You have lavished your love upon us through him. And so we bow now in your presence and try to apply this where we are, in our homes, with our families, in our places of work, with all the, the tension and pressure, and in our social lives, and in all of our activities, we would want to be a distinctive people. Not to stand out to be difficult and angular and awkward, but to be people who are persuaded that there are certain truths that stand forever, that cannot be changed. Would you hear our prayers, Lord? And during this half-term week when families are away and those who have young people doing exams where there is often areas of, of tension that you would give real grace and space and understanding and for those Lord who are struggling to regain balance and perspective in life and others coping with debilitating ill health in all of the, the variety of our circumstances we present ourselves and ask that you would graciously hear us we can but ask O oh Lord that you would awaken and revive those who love you and grant to your people as we were reading now a true vision of your glory and a renewed faithfulness to your word It is right that we should confess our lack of prayer and our many imperfections. Would you pardon us 
and restore us and fill us with your Holy Spirit again that we might live out the uniqueness of a God whom we trust and love. So we pray, Lord, throughout the nations of the world that your grace would prevail, your peace would rule. So we come again and ask that you would hear all our prayers and lead us step by step with you. Give us confidence as we journey together. And so we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. It's a strange thing that we remember mistakes or people using words that are inappropriate. Out of three years being at college, I can remember, apart from one occasion, one other assembly, and we had assembly every day, the staff used to gather the principal and the tutors, and they would listen to see if there were any bugging uh, preachers to recommend to churches and that sort of thing. And John got into the lesson with about 250 students and all the faculty sitting, and he began like this. There are two kinds of Christians. Those who get up in the morning and look out, draw the curtains and say, Good morning, Lord. And others who get up out of bed, draw the curtains and say, Good Lord, this morning. <laughs> Why can't I forget that? And I saw the principal, Jeffrey Groger, his name was, he's called the Jeffrey Giant, was six foot six and as broad as the door and he went, and each of us had our own room, and he went to level four, knocked the door of John, and said, can I speak to you? I don't know what happened, I'd like to have been a fly in the wall. Why did I remember that? Out of all the great speakers, and some who've gone on to write books, and lead churches, and so on, funny part, I don't think that's unique to me. Well, last Saturday, this happened in thought for the day, Radio Force, 749. The director of Theos, Elizabeth Oldfield, who announced that in six weeks, that would be five weeks now, she was to have a baby. And she gave this description as the defining characteristic of Christian people and individuals is summed up in one word, and that is relationship. And then she went on to say this. If I have children and they go to good schools and get eight stars in all their subjects and either go to Oxford or Cambridge and do so well in their lives and earn lots of money and have no relationship, she said, why did I remember this? It's crap. Now that's very unusual for Radio 4 thoughts of the day. But she was deliberate, was the slip, because it was in the script, I looked it up, I googled, and there it was, written out. She was emphasizing so strongly something that required language that was quite unusual, or I can't quite call it distinctive. Relationship. So, 
we can get everything right and here is Moses laying down the rules and the laws and the stipulations and everything yet apart from a meaningful relationship there with God we're going to struggle here with each other and that of course those of us who know the commandments start with God get that right and then our relationship with each other will certainly improve <clears throat> without love then 1 Corinthians 30 if you like it's nothing and that's where the four letter word comes in so we come to Deuteronomy what we have here is this clarion call to do two things we are to love God and we are to love each other if we start to try to love each other and not love God then we are going to struggle get that relationship right our creator, our maker and then it filters us through in our relationships with each other and that is the essence, the gist indeed the thrust of the whole of the Bible so just turn over a page for a moment in Deuteronomy 6 this is brought together in a very concise way verse 4 here O Israel the Lord the Lord is one the Lord our God love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength so on and so forth may come back to that later love God love people without that it's nothing let's look at a New Testament example for a moment and it should come up in front of you that uh, in Luke's gospel perhaps one of the most well-known things that Jesus gave certainly one of his most famous um, uh, parables and that's in Luke chapter 10 I think it's there somewhere yes it is Luke 10.25 why did Jesus give this parable, this famous parable? We have the Samaritan today, and it's shaped and moulded charities of all kinds. Well, what's the context? Somebody who has read Deuteronomy and is able to at least memorize and grasp some of the things we're trying to say today. And he comes to Jesus, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 26. He says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, the Deuteronomy, the, 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 the commandments and so forth, stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, there it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He summed it up. That's good. Don't forget he's trying to trick Jesus. So he's got it right in his mind, but wrong in his motive. Verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. It isn't enough, surely, to say, well, I believe this and go and live in a different way, and that is often the challenge for us.
But he wanted to justify himself, verse 29. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied to him, and there we have the good Samaritan and the rest. But you see, it's the, it's, it's the application, not simply the memorizing of it. And that can often be a problem for us as, as, as Christian people. It's very disturbing. There's no let out clause. It's the phrasing where the rubber hits the road. What is it like? How do we love people? For certain people, quite frankly, we don't love. And we don't like. And that will always be a challenge. Pope Francis is making lots of uh, statements at the moment and commanding the respect and trustworthy of many people. And he said this. We shouldn't ask what kind of world are we giving our children? What we should ask is this. What kind of children are we giving our world? You see where the emphasis is. Very easy to talk about the world. What a terrible place. And look at, all, look at the politicians and look at you people. Look at all this sort of stuff. But hold on a minute. What are we producing? What are we producing as a church? How credible are we? It's a, it's a good question. Not, it's Jeff Kennedy's speech, isn't it? Inaugural speech, don't ask. What can America do for you? What can you do for America? So, if you like, what the Pope is saying about the Catholic Church and Kennedy says about America, here Moses is saying about his covenant people. So for families, churches to embrace a unique God, a distinctive God, will surely, in the course of time, not always, stimulate the right response. Look at verse 24, for example. In, if you come back to Deuteronomy 4 of our reading. No, it's, it's, uh, it's Deuteronomy 6 that they start. Deuteronomy 6, 20, and then... 24. In the future, when your son, your offspring, asks you, what does it mean? Not what does it say, the person who asked Jesus, and Jesus gives the power of this man, he knew what he said, he didn't know what it meant. What does it mean? What's the meaning of the stipulation, decrees and laws your God has commanded you? Tell him. Here's the great leveler for, for believing people. Look, we were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And so on and so forth. And verse 24. The Lord commanded us to obey all the decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is clear today. And if we are careful to obey this law before the Lord our God, as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness, our salvation. You see what you have here then? We have a quick outline of Deuteronomy 4 and then come to a few applications and that's it. So Deuteronomy 4 contains this substantial address by a leader, Moses, giving to awaken people who are poised after the waste of a generation going around for 40 years in the desert to challenge them about the 
character God, this God, what is he like? What is he like? So, let's have a quick outline then of chapter 4. This is the answer. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, is quoting his, his sermon in, in effect, and it's this. A generous giver. What is this God like? He is a generous giver. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 1. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and decrees and laws, I am to teach you, follow them, so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that I am giving you. I'm giving it to you. Chapter 4, 13 to, to 28, he is not only a generous giver, but he is a sovereign Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. Verse 23, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord. So easy, isn't it? And then thirdly, this is 29-34, he is a merciful Redeemer. So when you get to verse 31, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers which he confirmed to them by oath. And even in the Old Testament under Moses, under the law, here the last section is that he is an incomparable lover. Verse 37 Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great strength. There it is then. That's a simple outline of chapter 4, part of our series. If we stop there, you say, okay, yes, yes I've not thought of that, very good. So what does it mean? This is the problem, isn't it, with, with the preacher, or what we're listening to. Yeah, I, I know what it says, but what does it mean? And often, it's a switch off time, because what it means is always the biggest challenge. Because if I and you take seriously what it means, we have to change. It's not good enough. And we don't want to. <laughs> so let me suggest four things very quickly that would um, apply here. Bearing in mind that um, Moses, as a leader, is handing to Joshua, for, for a moment, let me get two, two quotes um, recently from, from the paper, uh, speaking of leadership. Napoleon Bonaparte said, a leader is a dealer in hope. Hope. And you'd have to think of Winston Churchill, but he said this, the nation or can I change that for a moment? The church, the nation will find it very hard to look up to leaders who are keeping their ears to the ground. Tough problem with politicians, isn't it? Keep our feet on the ground, saying what we need, mean what we say, would surely command greater respect. But that's true for us as well. So let's look at this. Um, chapter 4 best we can and, and the four headings in terms of now its application. We are a people on a journey. 
we are a people on a journey. That's why we sang that hymn. And it's quite evocative, isn't it? Think of those words and it finds resonance in that reading. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Now some people have applied that to dying. But it isn't to do with that. It's crossing over to the unknown. But death can be like that for sure. A people on a journey. God has brought them out of Egypt. And now he's brought them through the wilderness. Those arid, literally and spiritually. Those arid years. And Deuteronomy repeatedly, as a refrain that runs through, says this. The Lord is going ahead of you. Follow him. He knows where he's going. And he knows what he's saying. And he knows what he's doing. Follow him. Follow him. That's what you have to do. We are called to follow. The second application is this. We are a people on the edge. I sort of used that phrase. It, it could be on, on the border, if you like, or the boundary. And, and we say to people, don't we, look, we have to set boundaries. People on the edge, though. Yes, the boundary was geographical. You have that in verse 14. Let me read it to you. Chapter 4, verse 14. And the Lord directed me at this time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. There are boundaries. You're going to cross over these. You're on the edge, on the cusp of change. And yet there will be lots of blessings and great privileges and great temptations to have substitutes to other gods. Of other gods rather than the true God. And gods of modernity are ever with us drawing our uh, emotions and allegiance. Yet the boundary is geographical, for sure. But it's also spiritual, isn't it? New challenges. New temptations. Think of, let's think it in terms of mission. The essence of Christian mission is crossing boundaries. There are good uh, Korean friends here, René Simon, crossing boundaries. That's what it's about. But it may be crossing boundaries, moving house, different neighbours, different challenges, facing retirement, facing a new job, children leaving home, the nest being empty, new boundaries all the time. We face them. And isn't it easy, so easy to get stuck? You see, it's the application we're after now. That's the point. And that is always more challenging. Look at 39 to 40, for example. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. 
crossing boundaries and God being with us. So we're people on a journey, we are people on the edge, we're crossing boundaries. Thirdly, we are a people who are blessed. That was the great theme last time we looked at this, a people who are truly blessed. And this unique blessing is not exclusive to us. One of, one of the blights of, of, of the evangelical church from time to time is that we become rather exclusive. We, we, we draw up the walls around us and we, we like each other. We don't want change and we can't accommodate people who come over and meet with us. Interestingly, when Moses gives this call, he says to the people of the land as well, Come with us and we'll do you good. Think the church could say that to folk with no, no religious Christian background whatsoever. Come with us and we'll do you good. Even the covenant included the other people of the land. And indeed, the judgments of God were more severe on his own people than others. We are not to keep these blessings to ourselves. We are to be open and vulnerable. Let's just very quickly remind ourselves of our roots, because it isn't Moses, it's Abraham. And just think today now in Israel, in Bethlehem Square, whatever you might think, you've got these three massive religions of the world. Islam, Christianity, Judaism and the Pope being like a political wheeler-dealer trying to bring the bit so that there's greater peace. Devil might think of its spiritual implications. And they all find their roots with Abraham, the Abrahamic faith. Here's the thing though. Here's the thing. God calls Abraham, we know that. God's answer to the problem of the nations then and now was to call a geriatric old man and woman who didn't have a child and to tell them that they would be the answer to the problem of the world. We'll read it in Genesis 12, as clear as can be. They believed God and they obeyed Him. It's a staggering expression of faith. It's as if God was saying this. I have this world and this nation. I love this nation and this world and I'm calling you. And I'm calling you to leave your home, cross boundaries, and go to the land that I will show you. I will bless you. And I will make you a great nation. And by the way, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that's where it started. And we can so minimize, say, well, you know, I'm not clever like other people, I have a list of degrees, but I'm, you know, I'm getting on now, and all this sort of thing. No! We are where we are. We are who we are. God is who He is. It was central to Paul's theology of mission when you look at Romans and Galatians, the New Testament, where he says it's the purpose of God to bless the nations. When people look at me and you, do they see somebody who is a blessing? 
So Arte said, it must be application. It's very personal. It's meant to be. But often, we are not. That's why we need forgiveness. God always has the whole world in his sight. And through Jesus Christ, he wants to bring all people together. He so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Don't you love Charles Wesley's great hymn, you know, in that great movement, the 18th century. Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace. Say these arms of love, yes, they encompass me, but they would, they could, all mankind embrace. That's the challenge. It's strange people, as it's referred to in chapter 4. With every blessing, however, comes accountability. With every privilege comes responsibility. And and we need to finish. To drive this home, let me put it negatively, and sometimes it might help to do that. Turn, if you will, to the book of Romans. Paul puts this negatively, so he's trying to be positive. Romans chapter 2 and verse 17. Here is the Apostle Paul writing their different issues now. It's about the Roman Empire, about Nero is God, and all that sort of stuff. But it's the same. Same God, same people, same truth. Romans 2 verse 17. Jews and the law. That's what we read in Deuteronomy 4. We make the connection. Generations have gone by. The Greek culture now and so on and so forth. Look, look at how abrasive Paul's comments are about his own people. Romans 12, 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, child of the covenant, if you rely on the law, which we've read, and the commandments, and brag about your unique relationship to God, he's being ironic, isn't he? And if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the dark, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law embodied of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? What's it about? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? What do you mean? Do you steal someone's character by saying unkind things? You who say people should not commit adultery, have you got another relationship going on? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, and it's in quotation. Terrible thing to say. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You've got all this. And what it comes to? That's the four letter word that they'll use. That's very disturbing. I find it disturbing anyway. We are a people who are blessed. Now Paul throws, throws down the gauntlet there, doesn't he? Makes a powerful challenge. Well, he puts it negatively with a view to having a positive response. Let's put it positively. Turn on your way back to um, Matthew chapter 5. See again where this law comes up. Deuteronomy is used 
uh, a great deal in the New Testament, as you know. Chapter 5. Look at this, verse 14. It's the great manifesto of the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. How ironic is this, but nevertheless positive. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That's absurd. We have the light and we're hiding it. How can you do that? Instead, they put it in the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see. They want to see this. Good deeds. and praise your Father in heaven. Let me see. Don't just say, show. That's the application. It's, it's troubling, isn't it? But we need that. When people look at us, they should see Jesus and his light and his love clearly. When they look at the church, they should see that. That all this fragmented. And oftentimes some do. People have crossed over here, literally scores and scores of people of these last months. And have asked questions. Yes, attracted to the building and it changes, but, but why? What's it about? What are you doing? It's a great, great opportunity for us. We are a people who have left. And finally, a people with a unique responsibility. That isn't obvious already. A people with a unique responsibility, in the language of the Bible, to whom much is given, much is required. As it was for Israel, so it is for the church. The task to bring blessing to the nations. To bring blessings to the nations. An interesting key phrase is used frequently throughout um, Deuteronomy and, and particularly in, in chapter 4 and with this we conclude you see it in chapter 4 verse 9 only after God's privilege conferred be careful notice not your neighbour watch yourself you watch yourself closely so you do not forget these things and look at verse 50. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to the forest, giving the commandment. Therefore, watch yourself very carefully. And then again, look in verse 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord. The Lord is promised to be with you, to bless you. Now don't forget that. Watch yourself. One of the last things but the Apostle Paul said to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, one of the last things that he wrote from his imprisonment, Timothy, guard your life and your doctrine carefully. The order is important. Because what we believe is not accompanied by how we live. The devil drives a wedge between that and the gospel is dissipated. Be careful. So we're on a journey. 
let's journey together we're on the edge crossing boundaries a bit like no man's land but he's going before us we are a people who are richly blessed and we have unique privileges that's the covenant and we're part of that deeply humbly and it's very reassuring to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. And may we share the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.